Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. And now with no further ado, let's turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, I thought uh, we'd uh, talk about something a little bit different rather than uh, what's been going on in the last few days, although obviously we'll be touching on that. And sort of looking at now that the budget has passed and one of the major obstacles that the current uh, coalition, the so-called unity government had to overcome um, to create a sense of stability is now passed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we're now gonna look at what, what does this mean for the opposition and most specifically for opposition leader, former prime minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, let's start on the political. On the political level, it was certainly uh, a bad moment for him since the beginning of the government or even uh, before the government was officially uh, sworn in. Um, Netanyahu was telling all his partners um, uh, who basically went into the opposition with him, whether it was the ultra-Orthodox parties, Shas United Torah Judaism, uh, the Religious Zionists, which is the more right-wing Religious Zionist party, um, and basically said to them, don't worry, and also obviously to his Likud partners, we will fail this government, uh, we will manage to stop it, we'll make sure that the budget doesn't pass, uh, pass and while not, not everyone was uh, a complete believer, they gave him the room, the navigation to try and make sure that this would happen. They tried lots of different things. They tried to uh, get some people to move across the aisle. Uh, they managed, uh, even from the beginning with one, Amichai Shikli of Yumina, a famous, um, he hasn't officially been designated as such, but uh, some in Yumina would call him a deserter from, from the Yumina party. Um, but that and that left the coalition with Amiga 61. That would have meant one more deserter or someone who would have moved across or even not voted with the government would have given the opposition a chance. Um, that didn't happen. There was all sorts of threats. There was all sorts of bullying tactics, um, public, not so public. There were uh, offers made, very large offers made to individuals to parties. We know famously Benny Gantz and the Blue and White Party uh, was offered to form a government uh, by Netanyahu if he would uh, move over to the opposition and then uh, fell the uh, current coalition. Uh, but amazingly, and there is, you know, you've got to hand it to uh, a government which really has uh, strange bedfellows, uh, major ideological differences that they were able to survive and pass such a complicated budget the first one in three and a half years, the moment the budget passed or even the day before or during the vote, uh, when some of Netanyahu's partners started to understand this budget is passing and regardless of any tricks or efforts, uh, this government is going to vote for the, uh, for the budget. And while there was one very small out of 780 uh, votes, there was one small setback that was quickly rectified um, and basically the budget passed, a two-year uh, budget passed, and that was a major blow for Netanyahu uh, because he really did 
try and convince, and with a certain level of uh, uh, success, his natural partners that this government has no longevity. It's going to rip itself apart. There will be so many ideological contradictions um, that uh, there's no way this, the, this uh, you know, mishmash of parties can stay together. Well, that was proven wrong. And what we've seen since the budget is the, the start of some comments, especially from his most natural allies, the ultra-Orthodox, or let's say maybe not natural, but long-standing allies, the ultra-Orthodox parties, which are stuck with Netanyahu through thick and thin. They know the deal they get with him, which is better than they'll get with anyone else. And you've heard Moshe Gafni, who's a rather outspoken leader of the uh, ultra uh, the uh, Ashkenazi uh, ultra-Orthodox uh, party, uh, United Torah Judaism. And he said that, yes, we have gone with Netanyahu in the past, but he's not the Messiah. And, you know, he's not an Admor, he's not a Rebbe, he's not our leader. Uh, and if something else comes along, we're happy to look at it. These were quite, uh, uh, you know, the, the sort of words we, we wouldn't uh, expect to hear. Uh, if if Arya Deri of Shas would say to them, then they'd be even more uh, exceptional because Arya Deri is even closer to Netanyahu and puts a lot of his political future with Netanyahu. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. But we do know that Arya Deri, behind closed doors, is uh, annoyed at the situation. He was trying to broker a deal before the last government uh, fell uh, that would ensure that the government would continue that it wouldn't fall, that Gantz may not be necessarily, if you remember, the uh, it was supposed to be uh, half um, uh, Netanyahu and then half Gantz, if not necessarily it would mean that Gantz would have been prime minister, but at least to ensure the government would uh, last longer. And You know, all, all of these people were told that if we fail this government, the Gantz-Netanyahu government, then we'll have a stronger right-wing religious government. As we know, that did not happen. So a lot of Netanyahu's prophecies and a lot of Netanyahu's strategies, you know, Netanyahu for many years uh, in Israel is called the magician, Hakosem, um, because no matter what the situation, he manages to wriggle his way out and come out and, and win. And, he, you know, he can, he can also go left. He can also go right. He can also bring in parties that he said he would never sit with on the left. And he could sit with this party and that party as long as he uh, remained the leader of the coalition and the prime minister, we saw, all, we, we saw all manner of maneuvers, and he was uh, correctly uh, assessed in the, the Israeli uh, political sphere, something of a magician, regardless of what would be thrown at him. He would come out with even sometimes greater results. Now, we've seen, uh, according to every single poll that's been conducted in the last few weeks, that Netanyahu's Likud, uh, under Netanyahu, would uh, expand its support. At the moment, it's uh, 31 seats uh, or 30, 31 seats. It's polling at 35 or 36. What's interesting is while Netanyahu's Likud would continue to expand, his chances of forming a government would not. Uh, all he would do is be taking uh, seats uh, from within his sort of uh, uh, block and basically just regurgitating them. It wouldn't move him any closer to that 61. You know, what would be the perfect uh, uh, result for Netanyahu was to have 61 without having to move to the left, without having to bring in the centre and certainly not having to rely on the likes of Lieberman and uh, Bennett uh, and Saar, who were his ideological bedfellows and all of them worked very closely with Netanyahu and were, were part of uh, his, either his uh, office as prime minister or within the liquid infrastructure. 
Um, but that hasn't happened simply. They have not got any closer. Well, they have got closer to 60, uh, 61, to be fair, because at the moment they're 53, because as we know, six of the seats are the Arab jointness. So they are holding 58, 59, uh, which would mean that we wouldn't be able to, neither side would really be able to form a government without the, um, without the uh, Arab uh, joint list. So Netanyahu's political future at the moment is still shrouded uh, with this doubt, the fact that he can cobble together a coalition. What has been shown is whenever they've said, well, what about if uh, Yuli Edelstein or Nebar Kat was, uh, was leading the Likud, well, what would happen in that scenario is that the Likud would decrease to the mid to low 20s. Uh, that's quite a big decrease. But what would that mean? That would mean that some of uh, the other parties, whether it's Gidon Saar's Tikva Khadashan, you hope, or Naftali Bennett's Yamina, or even Avigdor Liebman's Yisrael Beitena, would feel more comfortable in joining a coalition and they would be able to be a right wing uh, religious coalition. Uh, so there's a lot of people who are basically saying that Netanyahu will continue to be powerful, continue to be strong, continue to be popular, but he can simply not make a coalition. And as long as he leads the Likud, the Likud will be in the opposition, and it could be that this coalition will last for a long time. As we know, now the budget is off the table for at least two years, the only real way of uh, toppling this government is a no-confidence vote. And for no-confidence vote, you have to bring 61 uh, votes. That means um, you have to bring uh, a party from across the aisle. Now, you know, there's always the question of why would that leave the joint list? The joint list at the moment uh, is not necessarily going to vote for uh, a no confidence to be part of this uh, 61. So that means you have to bring another eight. And as we've said before, the only possible party there that we could see moving across is, uh, is blue and white. Is Gantz is blue and white. And that seems more remote than ever because of Gantz's insistence of raising the so-called submarine affair, which has been described as one of the, the, the greatest uh, uh, problematic uh, deals for submarines. Uh, with, it was a whole deal with a German um, war submarines and a lot of people around Netanyahu, Netanyahu not himself, but very close advisors, his lawyer, have been implicated and indicted uh, in, on corruption uh, surrounding the purchase of these uh, military submarines. Um, so Gantz doesn't seem exactly moving across to Netanyahu at this point. The other things that will certainly affect Netanyahu is what could happen? Could the coalition vote uh, for a law that could ensure that Netanyahu will not be able to be prime minister or put to, uh, together a government or even uh, uh, be seen as the uh, prime ministerial candidate and a no confidence uh, motion. Well, at the moment, there's two laws not necessarily uh, massively going to affect it. Well, one is, one isn't. The, uh, both being pushed at this point by Gidon Saar, the justice minister. The first one is to make sure that there is a maximum uh, term limit on a prime minister of eight years or two terms. Uh, the interesting thing about that is it wouldn't be. Uh, it wouldn't be, it would only be moving forward. So anyone who became prime minister, their clock starts only from the first moment they become prime minister. So Netanyahu's 13 years plus uh, the time he served in the, in the 90s wouldn't count for anything. He could start from zero. So that doesn't really affect him. The other law that's being talked about is one that would uh, ensure that no person under indictment, a serious indictment, I should say, criminal indictment, 
can serve as prime minister, can put together a coalition, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, that would be very problematic for Netanyahu because we know he's under indictment in three separate criminal uh, cases. But at the moment, we don't see a majority for that. It's something that uh, the first one is a, the first one I should say that uh, Naftali Bennett has given a green light for. The second one, we already know that Ayel Shaked is a is a great opponent of it. And we've already heard at least one other Yamina person say that they won't vote for it. Interestingly, uh, in the last couple of days, we had Michal Biton, who is a member of Benny Gantz's party, who in the past did support such a law, who's now come out and said that he cannot support it. So you already have three members of the coalition who have said that they will not support it. Uh, and there's probably going to be more. So there was a discussion on various laws that are going to be brought up. The first one that we talked about, Kidon Sars, eight-year term limit was discussed, uh, according to sources from within the meeting. Uh, the second law was not brought up. It was not discussed at all. Uh, it does seem like it's going to be a very difficult one to pass. Um, so it does seem like on that, at this point in time, uh, Netanyahu seems to be safe from any legislative way of keeping him out uh, from the immediate political future. The other level, obviously, is the legal level. Uh, but what I should say at this point, even though there's three cases, they are moving. The first, the first one, which is uh, case 4000, is moving extremely slowly. There's a lot of evidence to get through. They've only got through a few uh, witnesses, some of the most powerful ones, and there's certainly a lot in there that the newspapers make a lot of. Uh, but this is going to go on for years. And even then, there can be appeals from either side and it can go up and move up. And this is going to go on for years. So that also won't really have an effect on Netanyahu's immediate political future. Uh, finally, within the Likud, he still has the trust of the important, let's just say, uh, 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 members or who control the important Likud institutions. I'm talking about internal could institutions. At the moment, he is not interested in primaries. He knows that there, there may be a problem, especially after the budget, when his position is severely weakened, that a potential challenger can use that and say, as long as Netanyahu is there, he may be popular, but we will sit in the opposition. Uh, he cannot form a government. It's a powerful argument. Um, it is starting to be made more and more publicly. We know Yuli Edelstein, a very prominent member of the Likud, uh, has been making it. A lot of others um, have been making it behind closed doors. There's a lot of anger, a lot of disappointment about Netanyahu. Some even say he started to switch off. There were lots of uh, theories about him sitting in the budget meetings. He was reading a book. He seemed, according to observers, he seemed very switched off. He seemed like he didn't really care what's going on. And that led to him voting five times with the coalition by mistake. Uh, so there's a lot of conjecture about that. Is he starting to switch off himself? Is he starting to understand that He's vulnerable, that he maybe has to step aside. I don't see it at this point, uh, but I think as the weeks uh, and months move on and the coalition, it will have its problems, it will have its issues. We, we saw today the coalition was defeated on two uh, votes, uh, partly because the opposition will not um, allow its members to do what's called a kizuz, which is when, when uh, a member of Knesset is either ill or maybe uh, uh, grieving a close family member or is abroad on a state visit, usually a member of the opposition will remove themselves to make sure that there's no unfair advantage. Well, the opposition uh, has not agreed to do that, not for bereavement, not for 
uh, illness and not for uh, visit support. Um, but we did see two um, victories by the opposition today. But the interesting thing is the only victories the opposition is able to get these days is when uh, it's led by the joint Arab list. Um, I'm an party, the, you know, the anti-Zionist uh, uh, Arab joint list. Uh, you know, uh, Netanyahu was very fond of saying it's either Bibi or Tibi. Uh, Bibi is obviously his nickname and Ahmed Tibi is a prominent member of the Arab joint list. Well, in the last few weeks, whenever the uh, opposition wants to try and get something uh, passed, it's been Bibi and Tibi. Uh, today we saw, for example, a, a, a law uh, to create the first ever uh, hospital in the city, the Arab city of Sahnin. And what they're trying to do, this is the only tactic that's successful, and again, it's more of an embarrassment than anything else, is to try and shame members of Ram, the Islamist party, into voting against the coalition uh, and in favor of the opposition on issues which are important to the Arab public. And we saw, um, we saw a prominent member of uh, Ram, who is a former mayor of Sahnin, who voted with the opposition, ensuring that this vote passed. So the opposition saw these strange bedfellows of uh, the extreme right and the uh, Arab joint list voting together and you know, whooping and cheering when, when, the, when the law passed. At the end of the day, it, it, it's symbolic because it, the government can easily overall it on subsequent votes, but these are the only victories the opposition are getting. So it's starting to be very frustrating to sit in the opposition. Don't forget most of these um, Likud members, at least the more senior ones, have been ministers and the senior members of the uh, Haredi, the ultra-Orthodox parties. So the longer they just sit there as a regular member of Knesset, they start to you know, get a little bit bored and start to look across the arm to see if there's positions for them. Maybe there's a breakaway within Likud. Maybe the Arab parties have been knocking at the door for quite a while. Maybe they see their future uh, betraying Netanyahu and moving across the yard. Um, so the future is certainly not rosy for Netanyahu. He's not about to fall tomorrow. He's not quitting tomorrow. But certainly uh, his image as a magician, as someone who knows how to get out of every situation uh, successfully, has certainly been dented uh, in the political echelons. His popularity hasn't necessarily got down. Uh, gone down at the moment, but where it matters amongst his peers, he's certainly losing uh, a certain amount of uh, support and uh, this awareness that maybe he isn't the future uh, leader of uh, the right-wing religious bloc. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions on this or any other issues. All right, thank you so much. So the first question we have in is from an anonymous attendee. Uh, I know the budget has already passed, but how harmful is it to Israel's economy and to the general public when a national budget is not passed and enforced? And if it is, how ethical and patriotic is it for any coalition to purposely withhold passing a budget? Well, uh, simply, if a budget doesn't pass by a certain uh, date, that government falls immediately. That moment, uh, they start 90 days into election. So uh, it's very damaging. And the fact that Israel hasn't had a budget for three and a half years, not to say it hasn't had any budget and has been able to distribute any funds, but it's been working on a budget that was created uh, three and a half years ago. Um, and there's a lot of programs um, during that time that simply weren't able to be funded. If something new comes, if something uh, needs to be budgeted outside, you know, it basically stalled a lot of national programs. So it was very problematic, the fact that Israel didn't have a budget because, you know, like, like everyone in the world, you know, the needs change. Um, and the incomings and the outcomings need to be uh, you know, collated 
and figured out where, where it's going to go um, in the future. So it was very damaging for Israel that uh, Israel didn't have a, three, uh, a budget for three and a half years. Now it has at least for the next two years. Um, so that, as I said, is a major obstacle uh, because if the budget doesn't pass by a certain date, simply the government falls. Thank you. And from Jeffrey Sheff, given the current delay in the Senate approval of the Iron Dome missile bill, has there been any discussion in Israel of building its own Iron Dome missiles and thus being less dependent on the US politically? Um, well, there's a belief that it will pass um, through. It's, it's, it's a delay. Um, it's just, it's largely procedural. It was tried to, they tried to get it through uh, expedited and all you needed was one senator, I believe it was Rand Paul, um, who wouldn't allow it to be expedited because he wanted to take the funds from uh, the funds that were being used in Afghanistan and move them across. And he's someone who's generally against sort of foreign funding. Uh, so it, it's not necessarily an anti-Israel position. Uh, there's widespread belief that the, the funding will go through. Um, but um, as far as making its own missiles, I'm not sure that the Israel defense industry has the capability um, or the finances to replace uh, what they get from America. And I think that there are even agreements uh, in place. Israel doesn't receive aid anymore. It just receives military assistance and the majority of it has to be spent back in the US. Um, so this creates jobs, it creates, it helps the American economy. So I, I can't imagine that um, that's gonna happen at any point soon. Uh, in the past, and I've spoken to a few people about it, whenever Israel, has thought about trying to build some of its own defense infrastructure because of uh, a, you know, an over-reliance, some would argue, on America and other hardware. Um, there's certainly been pushback uh, from the United States. Uh, so I'm not sure it's a fight that uh, they, they want to, to bring up at this point. Understood, thank you. Um... We have two similar questions in. One is from Stephen Orlo asking, what are the chances of Netanyahu being replaced as Likud leader, for example, by Yudhi Edelstein? Well, first of all, they have to hold primaries. At the moment, uh, the person most in charge of that, Chaim Katz, who holds uh, the most important Likud institutions that would decide where the primaries are even called, at the moment uh, is siding with Netanyahu on this. Uh, it's not clear why. Uh, he's not certainly... He's not uh, Netanyahu confident. Um, uh, and in fact, he was even close to Gidon Sa in the past and people like that. Um, but I think uh, whether that position will remain for, for a long time uh, will, will be seen how much pressure some of the other figures uh, will, will present to him. Uh, the most important thing to, to remember is that when primaries are called, a lot of people said that they will come forward. And you have Barkat and you have Katz and you have Rego and you have Edelstein, and, you know, whereas if there was only one opposition candidate to Netanyahu, perhaps all the other ones would be able to rally behind. But there's a lot of egos there. There's a lot of people who believe that they could be the next Likud leader. And it's, you know, it's going to be much easier for Netanyahu to defeat them if they're divided. Another thing Netanyahu is trying to do at the moment is trying to uh, lower the amount significantly of how much uh, you can spend on liquid primaries. In the past, Netanyahu himself has used the fact that there's barely a cap. I'm not sure if there is a cap. If there is, it's very, very you know, high uh, on what you can raise uh, for liquid primaries. And he's used it to raise money in the US and other places 
Well, now he's up against someone who's a multi-billionaire, I think, uh, in Nubakat, extremely, extremely wealthy, one of the wealthiest people in, uh, in Israel. And so now they're trying to cap uh, the funding that you can receive uh, you know, uh, for uh, a primary campaign, basically to ensure that Barkat doesn't have what Netanyahu would consider an unfair uh, advantage. So he understands that primaries will come and primaries have to come before the next elections. Uh, but at the moment, Netanyahu is in no rush. So there's no particular mechanism without the help of people like Chaim Katz to bring primaries forward at this point. Thank you. Uh, the, the second one was Len Levins. Uh, is there anyone that is that is running, uh, leading the pack there? Uh, probably with Nir Barkat, they say. Um, we see different things. We, uh, the other day they put out something that Amir Ohana is the most popular person after Netanyahu, but that was more to discredit Amir Ohana to try and look like he's going against Netanyahu. Uh, probably every serious poll that I've seen has put Barkat significantly ahead of the rest of the pack. Um, no one else, again, um, <laughs> they haven't done a poll on that for a bit, uh, but the last poll I saw has Barkat uh, way out from the rest of the pack and the rest of them are in single digits. Understood. Thank you. Uh, Stephen Orlow and an anonymous attendee are both asking about now if the budget has passed, will the Biden administration try to push the opening of the consulate in Jerusalem to serve the Palestinians? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, it hasn't been uh, directly, hasn't been any massive pressure recently. What did come out, interestingly, was the Americans admitted that they can't open a consulate without uh, Israel's permission and Israel has uh, towed the line. In fact, the day after the budget, when Lapid, Bennett and uh, Lieberman had a press conference to tout their achievements in passing the budgets, they were asked about that. And Lieberman didn't, uh, didn't address this. I think it was just Lapid and Bennett. Both of them said that there will be no uh, consulate, US consulate that serves the Palestinians uh, in Jerusalem. And they're welcome to have it in Ramallah or anywhere else, but not in Jerusalem. The Palestinian Prime Minister, uh, Steyer, came out tonight and said the Americans could do whatever they like. Obviously, that would be his line. But uh, as we know in diplomacy, you can't force uh, a host country uh, to house um, a diplomatic institution, which it believes is against its interests. So, but there will be pressure at some point. It is something that the uh, Biden administration has promised to do. How exactly it does it and what the contours of that will be, and if the Israelis will get a quid pro quo, if they'll succumb to pressure, that remains to be seen. So we haven't seen an upping of the pressure yet. There's been other issues uh, discussed, uh, but not necessarily the opening of the consulate at this point in time. Thank you. And uh, Kenneth Gross asks, what do you, uh, there, there was an article about the Israeli ambassador to the UK rushed out of the LSE amid tense protests over her appearance. Uh, what 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 do you make of that not being widely covered? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, it, unfortunately, especially in, in England, it's not new. I remember in 2009, I went with the Deputy Foreign Minister, Daniel Long, and we went to Oxford. He was invited to the Oxford uh, Debating Society. And as one pro-Palestinian, or probably more likely anti-Israel student, was thrown out for making comments, he shouted at the deputy uh, foreign minister, which is uh, Arabic for slaughter the Jews. It's a, 
It's a phrase that goes back many, many years. And the interesting thing about that, and I always use this as an example, is I actually gave evidence uh, to, you know, I, I, I filed a complaint to the local police and they then went to uh, an Arabic expert or an Arab historian or something like that and asked if this is considered an incitement. I mean, you can't really imagine anything more, uh, you know, inciting than slaughter the Jews and it's the Jews, not Israel. And I remember receiving an email, maybe I've kept it, maybe I haven't, I can't remember, uh, that basically said that, no, it, it's a cultural term, it's not really uh, inciting, it doesn't have any aggressive or violent connotations to it. So, you know, uh, people who either are Israeli uh, or Zionist, uh, I, I heard from someone the other day um, who works for an, an organization, um, a Jewish organization who basically was told not to release the details of her event until half an hour before um, because of security. Uh, simply, it's very, very hard. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make uh, the campuses, and it's not just in England, it's elsewhere in Europe and it's in the US. Uh, we saw in Canada, I think it was Natan Sharansky, they, they smashed windows um, when he went to speak in, I think it was somewhere in Toronto. Um, you know, just, just because he's Israeli, just because he's a Zionist, they, they try to create a fear factor to make sure that Israelis or Zionists and even sometimes just Jews are not allowed to appear in the public space because they're afraid that the truth will come out, that their diatribes, their propaganda, the anti-Israel uh, crowd, the BDS crowd uh, are afraid of open debate. They're afraid of the facts coming out. They're afraid of someone coming to say, actually, the truth is like this. Uh, so what they want to do is they, they want to frighten them. Uh, but according to the ambassador, she spoke on the news tonight. She wasn't afraid. She didn't feel threatened. She obviously, it wasn't the most pleasant thing in the world, but she said she was uh, welcomed warmly inside the university. She managed to speak. She said everything she wanted to say. And it was only outside where they tried to attack her. She was uh, rushed away by her security detail in England. Interestingly, the only foreign ambassador that gets local British security is the Israeli ambassador. For obvious reasons. So it is something that we're familiar with in England, um, but it's not just England, it's pretty much uh, everywhere around the world. Unfortunately, it doesn't make as much news as it should, uh, simply because there is this idea that it's freedom of speech, freedom of, you know, they're allowed to do what they want, even though it's clearly they were threatening uh, uh, gestures towards her. Um, so I don't know exactly why some publications chose to, to uh, report on it and others didn't have to ask them. But unfortunately, I would love to say it was a new occurrence and a unique occurrence, unprecedented, but clearly it's not. Well, thank you so much for that. Uh, fortunately, we've come to the, unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Tammy Rosman. Benjamin on academic boycotters of Israel, bring their biases to the classroom. Thank you all for joining and I hope you have a great day.